uh, I liken it to driving a car and basically finding that red line, that point where you, you know, like your the top end of your nasal breathing, you know, ability, um, that point where you feel like you need to open your mouth and you might you might push it to there or, or you might push it a little bit too hard. Say if your, your training session is I want to stick to nasal breathing only, you might push it a little bit too hard where you have to open your mouth. But then the idea is to get back to that nasal as quick as you can. Okay, everyone. So welcome back to the Performance Through Health podcast. It's been a little while since I've actually done one of these, but uh, today I've got human performance coach, Jason Donaldson. Uh, Jason, you've been in the industry for 15 years, so I think you're a bit more of a veteran than I am in, in, in this industry. And um, now I've known that you've seen you're on the, the Oxygen Advantage recording, so you've gone that far. And I know you were doing some work with Shift Adapt uh, and you started to, I think you're involved heavily with maybe the development of that. Um, and you're, you're, essentially from what I gather is that you're helping people implement their uh, you know, practical health tools, wellness tools into their life to, to, to try and help them build their version of uh, their high performance lifestyle. So I really liked the word that you use your version. Where did, where did that come from? Do you think? And, and why, why have you taken that particular approach? It really comes from um, when I've had discussions with people around what success means for them. You know, and, and success means different things for different people. And it's, you know, it's what is your version of success? And it also, it also success differs um, in different situations or different areas of your life as well. You know, what might mean success in one area could, you know, be totally different in another area. And, and that's really where um, your version of a high-performance life came into it because, you know, not everyone's version of a high-performance life is, um, you know, people think high-performer is, you know, a entrepreneur that runs five businesses and, you know, drives a Ferrari and, and all that sort of stuff. But that's totally not my version of a high-performance life. Um, so, you know, I, why would I assume that it's someone else's version as well? So it really comes down to what is what is your your version of, you know, high-performance, your version of success, your version of, you know, good, purposeful, meaningful life or, or whatever it might be. So... Um, it's up to the individual to decide what that is for them. I, I love that because uh, the concept of performance through health came through exactly the same thing. It's like, okay, well, what is performance? You know, performance to you is like, it could be, you, you just want to make yourself healthier. So you could be, a, you know, the best movie it could be. You, you want to say, you want to be, have a bit more energy so that you can take your, your, your children to, to the park and run around with them. Like that, that, that that's what, what is success to you? And, I think I a lot of people come through to the likes of us, you know, in, in an industry where we're helping people deal with stress or, or breathing, and, and their version of success is something that is so extrinsic and so kind of like you know it's externally motivated that sometimes yeah. when you start to ask them the questions of what they truly want in their life, it starts to it, it impacts them because they realise that they've gone through a whole path of what they think's performance and realise actually that's not what I want. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, and even just asking people those questions. It sometimes it's the first time they've actually thought about it. You know, when um, you know, I had, a, I had a gym for eight years, and you know, one of the first things you'd ask people when they came in for like an intro session was, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve through your training? Uh, and and most people were like, oh, I just just want to get fitter. And then you'd ask them, well, what what is okay? So what does that mean to you? What does fitness mean to you? What does getting a little bit fitter actually look like? Feel like? And, you know, they just kind of look at you a lot of the time and go, 
I don't really know. I haven't thought about that. I just, you know, want to get fit. <laughs> so it's kind of the first time they've, a lot of the time when you ask those questions, the first time they've turned their mind to it. Um, and even that, that process of asking the questions can lead, you know, to where they want to go or help them, you know, a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's the whole point of the, the questions you're asking, right, is, is bringing that awareness to to bring the thoughts into their mind to really go, you know, what is it that you, you want to get, especially as a coach? I think the, the coach, a lot of people get confused between education and coaching. You know, education is you're just giving people knowledge and just telling people how to do, which I think in uh whether you're in a healthcare situation, whether you're in a performance situation, or whether you're even in school, asking questions is a much easier way to even educate because you're you're bringing awareness to the the thought process, not just the, exactly. the knowledge they need. Definitely, um, and that's you know that that awareness. You know, everything starts with the awareness. You know, um, and then you know on the questions, questions are great. Um, there's can't remember who, can't remember who the quote's from, but it's you know if you want a better answer, ask a better question. Um, mm. And through asking those questions, you can develop that awareness. You can learn more. Um, and you know, over the last few years, I've got more into that kind of um, asking myself those questions, asking myself different questions, and analysing my own thinking or my own behaviour and my own actions. And um, you know, and, and earlier this year, I started studying counselling um, for that very reason, was to go into the um, the whole behaviour side of things behind humans. You know, I'd look for a while um, at, at different courses and study options for coaching, um, but a lot of them were, you know, postgraduate and a lot of them were kind of designed around leadership coaching versus, you know, health coaching. And, there's, you know, there's a few kind of health and wellness type coaching um, courses available, you know, at that kind of certificate and diploma level, but I kind of wanted something a little bit more and, uh, since getting, since starting, you know, starting to study counselling, it's um, it's been great, you know, learning some of the things there, and not just about myself, but you know, about how other people, you know, how people operate, and and also some of the things that some of the questions I've been asking um, for years in coaching, even just strength and conditioning coaching, I've discovered kind of come from different types of therapies, um, you know, which or are used in different types of therapies, which I didn't really even know when I was asking those questions. So. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's interesting. I, I can definitely see how it could benefit. Like I saw on your profile that you you know you started to study this counselling before. That's a you know, it's a fantastic idea to be able to develop a skill that's away from the traditional norm of what a coach might be. To be able to go deeper into the questions to figure out the why. You know, what is the belief that you're holding on to that maybe is preventing you from being able to create the change that you need to improve your performance, your health, your wellness, whatever it is you want. And I think that yeah. counselling is going to give you that extra touch, right? Yeah, and then that's that's exactly why I wanted to go into it. You know, I'd, I'd written training programs for years, help people with, you know, nutrition, um, you know, some general nutrition advice over the years and you know, sleep advice and things like that and, and the breathing and breath work. Um, but, um, you know, giving people the information, as you said before, difference between being an educator and coach and then actually helping them to implement the change, to actually take action, that's where the, that's where the um, secret source is really, mm. is that actual implementation of the information or the actioning of the information. And that's uh, getting people to get out of their own way <laughs> really and do, and do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's all stuff I've struggled with myself personally over the years. And I think most, 
most humans do. <laughs> so I guess if we're to uh, delve a bit into maybe a, a methodology, did you follow particular methodologies? Do you kind of keep it open to to you know, raising questions to where you start? Do you have a typical starting point? I know uh, you're very you're breath based, but you're also holistic in terms of everything you look at. Mm-hmm. What kind of avenues do you take with people? It really depends on what I'm, what's presented to me. You know, what's in front of me, what the what the individual is going through, what they what you know, what they want to achieve, that sort of thing. And then I'll kind of utilize whatever tools are in my toolkit um, to you know help them make those changes. And those tools, the toolkit is constantly expanding. The tools are getting refreshed, renewed. Um, and that sort of thing, you know, up until five years ago or so, breath wasn't even a, a tool in the toolkit. You know, we mm. just had, I had no awareness of it. So, um, and there's it, just, you know, constant, uh, you know, evolution of um, tools and, yep. and then, uh, it's, you know, how to actually implement it with the individual really depends on, it starts with a conversation really, just having a conversation with them, where they're at, where they want to go, and then how I can actually help them help them get there. Yeah, okay. so there's no there's no one system or, or yep. methodology. Yep. It's um, very kind of fluid and dynamic. Yeah, nice. And when you're, uh, I guess, when you're delving into to to people's breathing and you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, many people have never ever looked at their breathing. And I think the number yeah. one thing I say to people, the number one mistake you're making is not paying attention to your breathing. Because as soon as you start to pay attention, you're, you 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 can you can realise right. But um, what sort of a, I guess most most one of the most impactful things that you've found when it comes to changing people's breathing? Probably just going back to what you just said then, the awareness. Um, you know, I'll put my hand up as someone who was totally unaware of their breath for the first uh, up until about five years ago, the first forty years of my life. Um, and was a chronic mouth breather, had all the issues that come associated with that, with sinus problems, allergies, um, had braces as a kid and oral surgery due to an un- underdeveloped jaw. Um, uh, yeah, all that sort of stuff that, that comes with mouth breathing. And it wasn't until five years ago or so that I developed an awareness of that. And then once I had that awareness, oh, you know, was then able to then you know, build on top of that and, and that continues, you know, now is just being aware of my breath when I'm going about my everyday life, you know, having reinforced a particular breathing pattern for 40 years, um, it doesn't just go overnight and it's a constant kind of battle to try and uh, stay on top of that. So, you know, I'll still find myself falling into the, the habit of mouth breathing at times um, and there's times in training when I really want to open my mouth Um but I've you know committed to that particular workout as being nasal breathing only, um, so I just have to you know reduce my intensity or slow down slightly. So um, yeah, yeah but, but I think awareness is probably the, the biggest thing, um, and, and comes back to kind of what I said at the start as well. Everything starts with that awareness, and in, you know once you've got that, you can then build on top of that. And when you have that awareness of your breath as well, it then helps you to tune into your body you know, what's going on with your body, different feelings and sensations. Um, and I've had people who have um, gone on, you know, gone on runs with, you know, nasal breathing only and they've said they've actually run faster but it felt easier. Um, and then people who have done, you know, kind of long sessions on a stationary bike, which are generally pretty damn boring. Um, but they've said the time went really quick because they were focused 100% on their breath. 
and they didn't really notice the time passing. So um, I kind of I say I say to people, if you're bored, you're not paying attention. So <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it was maybe May or just around April, May this year, I think I saw a few of your posts and you started to put a few workouts up on, on online, just saying, do this nasal breathing. And I started to follow them. And it was just after I'd finished my powerlifting competition. So I was in no state <laughs> yeah. to be, you know, to, to try and be doing nasal breathing while I'm doing burpees yeah. and all this sort of stuff. But the, it, it did bring the awareness to me in terms of how dysfunctional my breathing was or for me, what it, what I realized is that I panic, I panic breathe when I start to feel that urge. Yeah. I noticed that when I'm, it's like, it's like sending that fear to my mind to say, you need to catch your breath fast. You need to fat, like, and you'll, I'll be leaning over. But really what I've managed to learn over the six months is that actually you can just take control and you can go back to nasal breathing. And yeah. there has been a development in my, in my nasal breathing now to the point where yes, I can do a run and I find it a lot more meditative, uh, meditative, I'm uh, recovering faster. I feel as if uh, like, yeah, the, the time goes a bit faster as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a, uh, and I know that you were involved with the gearing system, but you're, you, know, you also, yep. uh, you have your own gearing system, but there is a time to use the mouth, right? And absolutely. Yeah. Just take us through, through, through your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, with with breathing and with performance, um, you've always got okay. You, you've got training where you know what's what's your goal in training? Is your goal to stimulate an adaptation, or is it to you know perform your best in that particular session? And most of, you know training really is about stimulating adaptations. And then you've got a competition. You know, if someone's in a race or or an event of some sort, then you know they're they're not interested in adaptations. They're interested in optimizing the performance. And you can't you can't both stimulate adaptations and optimize your performance. You can't do that at the same time. So, you know, first of all, you've got to decide what do I want to achieve here. So if it's training and you're trying to stimulate adaptations, then that's where you will be a little bit more rigid with how you might use your breath. So if you're trying to get better at nasal breathing, you will, you know, nasal breathe as much as you possibly can uh, and keep your intensity to a level where you're able to achieve that. But you also want to push the edge. That, that comfort zone it's like i always bring it back to driving a car which i kind of learned um doesn't help with all audiences because not everybody knows how to drive a manual transmission car <laughs> <laughs> i um recently the last season with an afl uh, football club and uh one of the first things i said to the group there was you know these are a group of you know 40 44 guys kind of from 18 to the oldest one i think 30 34 35 but i was like so who's who's got a manual car and I think about four people had a manual manual car. So. <laughs> and then and then I said, okay, who's got a manual license? And I think about half of them had a manual license. And I thought, okay, well, my, my analogy is not going to work. We're <laughs> <laughs> um, getting back to the back to the the thing like the gears. Uh, I liken it to driving a car and basically finding that red line, that point where you you know like your the top end of your nasal breathing you know ability. Um, that point where you feel like you need to open your mouth and you might you might push it to there or, or you might push it a little bit too hard. Say if your, your training session is I want to stick to nasal breathing only, you might push it a little bit too hard where you have to open your mouth. But then the idea is to get back to that nasal as quick as you can. Do a few mouth exhales, get back to it and understand where that point is. And then over time, you're gradually pushing that point. Um, mm. But then, and, and the key there is, or the idea there is that um, with you know, your gears, 
if you don't train your gear, you're not going to have access to it. So if you never do nasal only, then you're never going to be able to operate nasal only. You're going to go straight to mouth breathing, mm. uh, which is you know which is inefficient. Um, so it's about learning, getting that foundation, getting that base, and then knowing when to change gears, just like when you drive a car, knowing when to change gears and then when to change up again, when to change back again. Um, so I always, the, the example I use of actually using your gears is, and I did, I've done it, this video or this example a few times on video um, on Instagram and stuff, but basically running up a hill. So if you're running along, um, it's quite a, you know, quite an easy, calm, relaxed nasal breathing effort. You're just running along a flat, you know, flat surface, aerobic effort. You come to, you see a hill approaching and as you start running up the hill, the intensity of the effort increases because obviously it's, it's harder. Um, so nasal breathing gets harder. You know, the, the, you start getting more acidic in your body, CO2 is building up more. So you need to then get to a point where you need to change gears or you either need to slow down, you know, stop running up the hill or you need to open your mouth, blow off a bit of CO2. And so that's where you change up, change gears, uh, change up to, you know, gear two from gear one's nasal breathing gear two, which is that mouth exhale, and you might be able to continue that for a, a fair distance up the hill, nasal inhale, mouth exhale. But then if that hill continues to go, it's a long, steep hill, then you need to change gears again because, you know, um, the city's rising, you know, CO2 levels are increasing more, and then you really need to start, you know, balance up that O2, CO2 a bit more, so you need to suck in a bit more air. So you open your mouth, start inhaling through the mouth, exhaling through the mouth so you're in the gear three then and that's going to going to be able to do that till you get to the top of the hill and then once you get to the top of the hill and you can you feel like you can you start you know the intensity has dropped because it's flattened out again then you start going back down the gears and get back to na that nasal breathing as soon as you can um, get back to that more efficient um, process so it, it makes complete compense like exercise physiology wise you know when i've looked yeah. at i've done thousands of clinical studies where I get people coming to do graded step tests. And I've never really, at that time when I was doing it and I was working in the clinical field, I was never really thinking of that uh, concept of that. But like there is that point where you get to the lactate threshold and most people are going to be breathing through their mouth. So yeah. but yeah. by keeping your mouth closed and through adaptation over time, as well as doing some maybe potentially CO2 tolerance work outside, yeah. It, we're really pushing the lactate threshold higher, right? In in, in in a way. I mean, I don't know whether there's literature that supports that yet or not, but that's the basis of it, right? Is yeah, it, absolutely. Whether yeah. that's physiological, whether it's psychological, whether it's feeling itself, like you just can tolerate a higher level of uh, uh, you know hydrogen ions in the in, yeah. in the legs. Um, I know that I when I did a a short race recently i did 2.5k run 500 that 500 meter swim 2.5k to run back and i said to myself wherever i can i'm gonna do nasal breathing yeah and the first 2.5k i was really calm nice and relaxed some girls started to try and talk to me on the run and i just went <laughs> i can't talk and nasal breathe so i just backed up <laughs> yeah uh, and then uh obviously when it comes to swimming the uh, that we can't just breathe through our mouth. But on the way back, I was I was really struggling with the 
run back and trying to stay nasal breathing. And I was like, if I, I'm going to have to walk, I'm going to have to actually get to the point where I walked. So I did open my mouth and I found it allowed me to continue to, I guess, race. And that where, yeah. that's where it's making that decision. Do you want to perform or do you want to adapt? Exactly. And in that, in that time where I was in actual competition, um, you know, anyone's going to take it competitively and want to try and do the best they can. So yeah. for me to switch from the nasal, it was nasal in and breath out, it helped me prevent me from walking in that, in that, in that two, that's that second 2.5 K. Yeah. So it's not yeah, just, totally. uh, it's practical. It really works. It's really helpful. Yeah. yeah it's, and I, I did a dual athlon recently, um, similar to what you did, but it was two and a half K run, 15 K bike, two and a half K run. Um, and the, the first run, um, you know, nasal for the first part of it, but then we, we hit, there was a quite a large hill. It's only a short hill, but I kind of I, I used my gears on that to be able to power up the hill, like actually run up the hill fast rather than really slowing down, and then recovered my breath coming back down again. Then on the bike was nasal the whole time. Um, much easier to maintain nasal on a bike um, than it is running. Um, that comes down to your movement efficiency as well. Um, which is why you would have going back to the, the event you did. That's why that 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 second run for you would have you know been so hard nasal breathing is because the swim would have to- took a lot out of mm. you. Yeah. Because um, obviously you know you're, you're pretty new to swimming, so mm. you're not you're not an efficient mover in the water. Um, you know, neither am I. <laughs> That's why I did a dual athlon that didn't include swimming. Um, <laughs> so I didn't do a triathlon. Um, but uh, yeah, so if you're in, if you're inefficient in any way, that's going to obviously use more energy, and it's, you're going to have to you know, change gears accordingly. So, and then on the um, the second run for my dual athlon, I just basically put my foot down and and went fast. Um, so just again use my gears for that. And it was pretty much sprinting by the end, just breathing in and out through my mouth um, because yeah. my you know even though I'd said to people, oh, I'll just see how it goes, you know, just you know having a bit of fun. Yeah, you know, I was. You know, I'm com- I'm competitive by nature, so I wanted to do well. <laughs> so you know, I wasn't just uh, going to cruise along. So um, no. and, and that's. But the whole time I was like conscious of my breathing um, throughout the entire race. Um, that was pretty much all I was thinking about: how am I breathing, um, and you know, when can I change gears? You know, um, and you know, worked worked well for me. So and that's it's kind of what I do with with um, most of my training now. Um, you know, when I'm going in on runs or the bike or, or even just lifting in the gym, you know, how am I breathing? Um, and it comes back to what, whatever the goal is for that training session. Um, yeah, nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously we've got nails of breathing is the, the, the first point to start to start to create adaptation to you know, rising CO2 levels, rising uh, hydrogen levels, uh, uh, buffering acid and things like that. Then there's the, the stuff that they, they talk about in the oxygen advantage where you're using exhale breath holds. Um, I've, I've not gone past the, the advanced sort of stuff in terms of the, the instructors. So I don't know the stuff they do with the masters uh, instructors, yeah. stuff like that. But when you, you use the exhale prolonged exhale test for co2 uh, uh yeah you, yeah the co2 tolerance yeah yeah i've used the bolt test as well um yep. i've used i've used both um and yeah the the difficult i've had with using the bolt test with people is that subjective feeling of yep. um you know taking that when you feel like you need to take a breath you know 
for some people, uh, you know, that's, that's obviously subjective. So it's, it differs a lot, um, and it doesn't doesn't um, doesn't take into account mechanics. Um, yep. Whereas that this the actual CO two tolerance test, the prolonged exhale, um, you know, gives you an idea of mechanics as well. It's you know, yeah, can they yeah. control that exhale? Um, when when I first started doing it, the CO two tolerance test, um, we're doing doing it with mouth breathing, just a mouth exhale. Yep. And you know my time was around a minute or so, and then um, and then Brian Brian McKenzie told me, he said I'd oh, try it with with your nose, um, just kind of we just started getting into the nasal breathing then and uh, tried it with my nose and I think my time was about nine seconds. <laughs> so I, just, I had no idea, I had no idea how to control that exhale via my nose. After trying it a few times, my my score went back up to up to a minute or so because I'd worked out how to actually control the the flow there through the through the nose, um, but that you know that just that just showed that my mechanics were the issue initially um, mm. because I didn't know how to control it. It wasn't my CO two tolerance. My CO two tolerance was still you know around a minute, um, but it was a mechanical issue firstly. Um, so that's why I like using that because yeah it yeah yeah, yeah. does more that's- than just tell us CO two tolerance. It, it's interesting because when I started first looking at that, that sort of CO two tolerance test, I was like, but there's just a a learned it's a learned habit so your score gets better because it's a learned habit but anyway it's the learned habit you want it's not necessarily the score yeah. you want it's the habit that you want so it doesn't necessarily mean that because you're learning how to do the test that you're getting better the learning is the the key to controlling the breath control so, the, yeah learning how to do that control that exhale so yeah um yeah and and i, I think um you know I've, I've said to people as well don't don't get too caught up with your score you know, it's mm. it's it's like you know, don't get too caught up in your numbers in the gym. You know, unless you're a power lifter, doesn't really matter how much you lift. You know, it's it's are you you know, is it achieving or is it is it enabling you to do what you want to do outside yeah. of that? You know, yeah. no, nobody wins the CO two tolerance Olympic event or anything no. like that. <laughs> no, and it, and it's gonna you know, I've I've done lung function tests and thousands of people, so it's gonna make a difference whether you're someone who's six foot five and whether you're someone's five foot nine, because you just your 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 vital capacity of your lungs is so much different, so much different as well. So it's looking at that. Okay, can I get that extra five percent, extra ten percent? Those few questions over a period, and does that translate into your ability to to to, to perform and stuff like that as well? But I, I guess yeah. I guess touching on that, when we're pushing onto the advanced side of the CO two tolerance training when we're looking at that in terms of the performance for athletes what kind of protocols have you found the best to be uh, i guess creating a stimulus a strong stimulus in that area as in to develop their co2 tolerance yeah it's it's one of those things like um you know i've seen athletes who have got high co2 tolerance test scores but it hasn't really um, translated into performance in their sport that comes back down to, um, you know, that comes down to, you know, how they're actually, um, how they might be breathing in their everyday life and everything else that kind of encompasses that as well. Um, so what I kind of use the CO2 tolerance test more for now um, is to determine like readiness for training, stress levels, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, so, and, and it's, you know, because what, what we'll see is that when somebody is, um, you know, in a stress state, the CO2 tolerance test score is, is reduced. Um, so it's about establishing a baseline, doing the test, you know, a number of times initially, establish a baseline and then checking in when you feel like you need to to determine where you are in relation to that baseline. And then as far as um, breath work and, um, 
for performance, I kind of treat that, um, I use CO2 tolerance, uh, uh, I guess, um, breath holds, you know, exhale and inhale breath holds, CO2 tolerance development work to um, improve someone's, uh, it's, it's more their psychological, I guess, tolerance of breathlessness, as in, you know, I'm starting to feel breathless. You know, it's like when you do a strong exhale hold or a working exhale hold and you get those, you know, those uh, diaphragmatic contractions, um, you know, pushing past that first um, indication to breathe, or that first trigger to breathe, and just getting people to understand that that's just the, that first kind of smoke alarm going off. It doesn't mean that you're on fire. You just need mm. to, you can actually push through that and, and improving that kind of more that, um, I guess, that mental attachment to that feeling of, of needing to breathe. And um, yeah, and that, that's kind of, what what I kind of focus that side of things on. That's yeah, what it, I use it, the CO2 tolerance development stuff for. It makes sense, obviously. Uh, in psychology, the number one thing that they use for fear is exposure therapy, you know, gradual yeah. exposure therapy. So it's coming from that concept of, I guess, using using that panic of the urge to breathe, exposing you to that. Okay, okay. Well, actually, next time, can you go a bit further? Yeah. Can you go a bit further? And uh, before you reduce, and then you know, eight, ten, twelve weeks later, you've reduced or you've increased that tolerance so much that that initial concern is no longer concerned for them. So there's, yeah. it's, it's like, it's the resilience levels kind of um, uh, stress tolerance levels improved. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. You're just, um, just exposing them in a controlled way to, to a stressor and then mm. creating that adaptation, adaptation that way. Um, and yes, the CO2 tolerance score will increase. But I'm more I'm more interested in how that their actual performance in whatever they're trying to do increases, um, and also if there's somebody that's not training for a sport, you know how their tolerance to stress in their everyday life improves, or or at least their awareness to their stress levels. Because a lot of people are stressed the hell out and they don't even know it. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. People are so dissociated with their with how they feel and their energy levels and we could get people with sleep apnea uh you know 30 40 50 apneas a night and they come in like i feel fine it's like yeah <laughs> you, you don't know how you're feeling because you've not paid attention to how you feel for a very long time <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't understand that there's a you don't have to feel this way there's actually a different way you can feel yeah yeah, yeah that's it so last question before we before we wrap up, I just wondered. Um, I know you've done it. You've you've been taking some of your work into uh, this breathing sort of stuff into into some of the, the footy teams over there in, in Perth. And how, how receptive have they been? And how, how much of an impact has it kind of kind of changed in the, I guess their their levels of fitness? Yeah, it's um, it, it, I'm, it's a tough sell. <laughs> not that not that I'm trying to sell it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, I was approached, but um. You know, some it's, it's like anything. Some players are um, are keen and really um, interested in doing whatever they can to get you know a little bit of an edge, uh, mm-hmm. and then others have no interest whatsoever. Um, and and the interest also comes from um, different applications of it as well. Whether it's you know I've worked with one of the guys here um, on utilizing breathing in his goal kicking routine. You know, he's got thirty seconds to go from a very high intense in, intense um, state, you know, to being a bit calmer, being relaxed and being able to execute his process and his goal kicking. And, you know, it's great to watch, you know, watch him during a game, you know, watch him on TV and he does his, he'll do like, he'll do a couple of mouth breaths as he's walking back to his mark and then he'll take a nasal 
inhale and a mouth exhale. So before he kicks, does a couple of those. And nine times out of 10, when he goes through that process, he'll kick the goal. Yeah. And uh, pretty much every time he doesn't follow the process, he'll miss. So um, <laughs> I could just so see you though, with your checkbook, your, your workbook, just going like, right, yeah, you did it. Yep. <laughs> you get your statistics. <laughs> it's, it's funny because I, I coach a master's football team as well. And, and some of the boys there, they'll, I'll see them and they'll say, oh, I saw him doing his breathing, his breathing shit when he was kicking for goal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, well, at least he's uh, at least he's uh, you know he's he's following the process. So so there's there's that side of it. And a few other guys have used it for um uh you know pre, as part of their pre bed routines. Done some down regulating breath work. Um, as a as a club as a whole, one of the footy clubs I've worked with, they'll use it as players come off on the interchange. Um, they'll, they'll have maybe three minutes on a on the bench as a rotation. And the, the goal there is just to get the heart rate down, recover very quickly. Uh, and then they can get back on. And the guys that have been doing that have said that their recovery is just amazing. Um, and it's, it's about just going down through the gears for them because they spend most of the, most of the game in, in gear three, mouth inhale, mouth exhale, because it's just very high intensity. And then when they come off, they go down to a gear two, into a gear one, and most of them are back to nasal breathing well within a minute. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Dropping their heart rates very, um, very rapidly. So there's yeah, a number of number of different applications for it in that kind of sporting environment, depending on the sport and depending on positions as well um, for different sports. Um, but um, yeah, it's uh, that's that's what I love about the breath is that there's so many different applicable tools for different situations. And really, you know, when you've got a wealth of knowledge like yourself, you can go into a place and say, hey, well, this is utilized for this. This is utilized for this. You can use this for here. And that just means they can take away and use it for the position that they can benefit from. Or they think, okay, well, actually, yeah, I have struggled sleeping at nighttime or, um, you know, I, I don't recover too fast to get back on the pitch again. It's like, well, that's just going to trigger that point in their mind and go, I just take they t- take one thing away and you might get yeah. a 1% improvement in their performance and they're happy about it. And that even then they might be more receptive to listening to a bit, bit further on as well. It's um, it's so broadly applicable. It can be a bit of a double-edged sword as well, um, you know, depending on the, depending on the audience. Mm. <laughs> so depending on how it's communicated to the audience too, like um, because it's so applicable to so many different areas, it can be difficult to, um, get the biggest bang for your buck in a very short period of time with a large group um, because there's so many yeah, of course. People, so many different needs that, that you know that there are in a, in a particular group. So um, yeah, but it's 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 early days, I think, with um, with breath in the performance world, very early days, um, and and we'll, I think we'll see it evolve um, a hell of a lot over the next uh, you know five years or so. Yeah, I agree. You know, with the, with the likes of Andrew Huberman pushing the science and talking about the science and seeing how much is now going into it, not just from a performance aspect, aspect but from a health aspect, mm-hmm. we're going to see, we're going to see, like we did three or uh, four years ago with sleep. I think we're going to start seeing that with, uh, with, with breathing next, or we at least yeah. need to. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I also think with, um, I know with AFL, there's a big, um, there's been a big switch over the last five or 10 years to be looking at treating players as humans as well as athletes and, you know, and all that comes with that, you know, there's, and we're seeing in professional sport here in Australia a lot with um, players taking like leave away from clubs due to mental health reasons. And some players have even retired. So I think there's, there's all that aspect of it as well, aside from the, 
um, mm. sporting performance. It's the, you know, it comes back to what we talked about at the start with, you know, high performance itself. You know, you've got to be, if, if you're not performing well as a human being, first of all, you know, you're unlikely to perform well at your sport. You know, if, you, if your life is a train wreck, it's hard to go out on a Saturday afternoon and, and perform well at, at your sport sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it all comes, all kind of comes around. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate this conversation. Just before we, we jump off, uh, just if anyone wants to, to reach out to you to, you know, to, to, to maybe do some coaching with you, where can they contact you? Which is the best way? Uh, probably the best place is just Instagram, which is just Jason Donaldson uh, underscore, um, or my website, which is just jasondonaldson.net. Nice. Brilliant. Appreciate your time. And, um, no worries. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, man. No worries. You take care, buddy. Thank you.